a lot of guys want to say, hey, I want to just jump right to the division one level. But there's there's so many opportunities around you that you need to to take advantage of. Start right where you are. Today on the podcast, we speak with a graduate from American International College in Springfield, Massachusetts. He ranks 13th in scoring at AIC and is third on the career assist list for the school. This coach enters his fifth season as an assistant coach and eighth overall with the Virginia men's basketball program. He served his first three seasons as UVA's director of recruiting and player development. He also spent five seasons as an assistant coach for the Charlotte 49ers from 2011 to 2015. And after 13 seasons at Boston University as an assistant, including three as associate head coach. Please welcome Coach Orlando Vandross. Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one selling shooting machine in basketball by providing the most innovative game-like training, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics that allow coaches and players to be better every day. Everybody's trying to get better every day, right? Why not use Dr. Dish Basketball? All you have to do is mention the Rising Coaches podcast or you're a member of the Rising Coaches organization for an exclusive discount on your own personal Dr. Dish. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Rising Coaches podcast. I'm your host, Doug Caputo, alongside your co-host, Alan Major, and we have a great coach with a great coaching background and even an NCAA national champion on the show. So as we are excited to introduce the current assistant coach of the University of Virginia, Coach Orlando Vandross. Coach Vandross, what's going on? How you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, good to have you, brother. Good to see you, too. Appreciate you. Good seeing you, man. Go go who's. Go who's. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a native. <laughs> <laughs> so to uh, give you a, a quick down low on the show, we're going to go back to your playing career. Talk about your journey from where you know, you're playing all the way up to where you are now. And then we're going to talk about your current position and, and your roles at Virginia. Talk about your years there. Um, and then we'll go to a quick segment at the end that we like to do. Three quick hitters, basically just getting everybody a little more understanding of who you are, you know, just personal questions. But like I said, we want to start out with your playing career a little bit. Um, you played at American International College where you were the – and, and I'll, I always say this to everybody. I'll do the bragging for you so you don't necessarily have to worry about that part. Um, you were 13th in scoring and third in career, in career assist list in school history. Talk about your experiences just playing at American as a player and what you learned from, from those. Oh, I mean – I played Division Two, and uh, it was a great experience. I mean, everybody aspires to play at the Division One level, but for me, I just wanted to play. And uh, American International College gave me an opportunity, and um, I ran with it. We had four great years. I, I had an incredible uh, opportunity to get the ball immediately, and um, they really uh, <laughs> had a ride or die with me. There was some rough patches in my freshman year. I'll tell you this, my first collegiate game, I thought I was a pretty good defender, and a guy gave me 30 points. And I never forget walking back to my dorm that night, basically calling my parents, I think I made a mistake. And um, <laughs> uh, after that, I had some soul searching. And, you know, it, it, the game of basketball is funny. Each game takes on a life of its own. And I had to figure out how hard I need to play on both ends after one game. And uh, but it, it, after that, I found ways how to get better each day. 
And I kind of like uh, refer to those moments, even with our players, that our first year is is a growing year. Um, some have immediate success, but sometimes it's a year of just ups and downs until you can get your feet on the ground. And then you start to see the development, you know, the sophomore, the junior, senior years. But overall, I, I have no regrets about going to AIC. It was a great playing, uh, great playing experience for me. And that's the big thing we love about talking about in this, too. I mean, at, at the position you're in right now, and obviously you're doing great things there, you see someone going necessarily from a Division three, Division two level and then making it up in the rankings as a coach. Now, I mean, kind of talking on that, though, after your playing career, I believe you started coaching in, in high school, correct? And various roles also with AAU programs. And then talk about how, like, you, you took those, I guess, positions on and then just kind of um, excelled at those to get to where you are. You know, initially when I got done, uh, I graduated and I got done playing, I worked for American Express and Shears and Lehman Brothers. I was thinking about being a broker. I love the idea of it, but when I started to <laughs> immerse myself in a job and I was wearing a suit and tie every day, sitting behind a desk, Ooh. I just felt like something was missing. And I remember calling my high school coach and he was checking on me to see how I was doing. And he asked a pivotal question. Do you love what you do? Are you enjoying it? And I was brutally honest as I really hate it um, because I, it's just not me. I just feel the, the, there was something missing. And you know what was missing? Being on a team and being in a gym is what I, I really found my passion. But I didn't know it at that time. So a high school coach gave me an opportunity to come in. Just I tell you what, we're going to get you a teaching job. And then I want you to volunteer and help me out. And it was the best thing at that particular time in my life. And. I just fell in love with the game and I just knew that this is what I want to do. I don't know what level of it's high school, is it college? I just knew I wanted to be in the gym and just coach guys up at that point. You know, it's funny. Oh, um, you just really answered my question because I'd never asked you. I mean, we've known each other 25 years uh -huh. uh, at least, but I'd never asked you, when did you know? You know, everybody has that moment about coaching, like when you, not just where you feel it, but you know that you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the beauty of what you're talking about is you didn't, you just wanted to jump in. You didn't have some lofty thing out there that you were trying to chase. It was just about, you know, taking the job you have and treating it like the only job in the world. I mean, Matt Painter, who we've had on here, you know, his first job was at Washington and Jefferson D3, and he had a part-time job driving a forklift. Hmm. You know, Jamie Dixon finished playing in New Zealand, started coaching 10 year old girls in New Zealand. Mm. That's just didn't know where is it going to go? Who knows? But that was just both those guys. Obviously, very successful, but just jumped in and didn't care about what was going to happen. It was just like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this right here right now. I'm going to be my, I'm going to be where my feet are and just it'll take me where it takes me. So. I love that you shared that because that's 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 important for the guys out there listening to this and ladies at any level to know. So it's not about where you start or, you know, uh, what level you're at. It's just about really throwing yourself in and maximizing the opportunity that you have. It's so true. And when I look back on it now, everything that I've done in my career, it's you got to start someplace and you got to be able to just. I guess starting your own area code. A lot of guys want to say, hey, I want to just jump right to the division one level. But there's there's so many opportunities around you that you need to to take advantage of. Start right where you are and see where yeah. it takes you. 
for sure. For sure. And then you were at um, a variety of different positions, including, uh, correct me if I'm saying it wrong, Massasoit Community College, um, Boston U, and then Charlotte 49ers. Uh, talk about, like, the, so just starting, like we were saying, you were at a high school, and then you go to a community college, then you go to Boston U, and then Charlotte. So you, I mean, you take some big steps um, about those various rules. Like, was there anything in particular that maybe you learned while you were moving up in the ranks? Oh, I learned so much at each stop. You always do. Um, I'm sure you have a book of it, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know about a book, but I got to <laughs> say that. Um, you know, Massasoit was very, very interesting. It's special to me because the head coach there, his name is Mark Otto Villanelli, and we call him Otto for short. He saw something in me when I was a, a volunteer assistant at Brockton High School, my alma mater, that gave me an opportunity to see if I really want to be a college coach. And I didn't understand what it takes to be a college coach. So let's just start at a community college and there's no per se rules or calendars like division two, three, whatever, or one. So I would literally be in my car driving around the city of Brockton or in Boston or in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And if I see a tall guy at the train stop. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, right. Roll down your window. Like, hey, <laughs> man, do you do you play basketball? <laughs> and uh, literally, I would recruit literally off the street, and uh, it was probably the purest form of basketball because those guys really gave their all, but they also had jobs. Um, some had some children at the time. It was we had a plethora of a little bit of everything going on, but we loved the game. We'll hop in the van. I drive the van. Um, you know, McDonald's was our post game meal. Um, Literally, I'm like, you know, practice. I'll say, hey, guys, make sure that you uh, take some free throws. But while they're taking free throws, I'm changing the laundry. And uh, sometimes I had to include my laundry in there because I'm there so much. <laughs> but it was a great time. I enjoyed every minute of it. And because of that, I, I, I really, my interest in becoming a college coach began to grow. But I didn't know how it's going to happen. I'm going to give you a short story. When I was a volunteer at Brockton High School, there was a particular game was playing. There was a, a Brockton High School versus Belmont High School, and they had a big kid by the name of Matt Christensen. We play the game, we lose, and a college coach, and I'm going to keep nameless, and I'll give you the name at the end of the story, um, comes up to me and says, hey, how you doing, coach? Tell me about the big fella for Belmont. What did you think? So I give him a description of what I thought of him. And at the end of the conversation, this particular coach says to me, he says, have you ever thought about being a college coach? And I said, I thought about it, but I know it's so difficult to get involved. I don't know what it's going to take. He says, well, I'll tell you what, take my card and stay in touch with me. I took the card and I just thought it was just a casual conversation. Put the card in my pocket, put the basketballs away, shut down everything. I go in my car and it's in Massachusetts in the dead of winter. So I have to warm it up. And I had a car that wasn't like, you know, Coach Major's car. I had the Mercedes Benz. No, I don't know. No, not so anymore. I'm, my car up. <laughs> I'm warming my car up and I pull the card out and I look down. Mike Bray, assistant coach, Duke University. I'm saying to myself, OK, let me stay in touch. I stay in touch with Mike and I. In that season at Brockton High School, and I go to Massasoit, but I stay in touch with Mike. Mike ends up getting the head coaching job at the University of Delaware. He tells me that I want to talk to you. We're going to go through an interview, and we'll see where it takes us. Where it takes us. 
he goes through a process through interviewing a bunch of guys and he calls me up and I'll never forget this. He was so honest and I learned a lesson from him. He tells me, he says, Orlando, I want to hire you, but I, I'm not going to be able to because I'm connected to Damatha. I need to hire a Damatha guy. And if I didn't have to do this, I would hire you. I was great. At least I knew the truth. I knew where I stood, stood at that time. Three months later, I get a call by Boston University and I get hired. The reason why I get hired because Boston University and Delaware were in the same conference at the time. And they were the head coach at the time from Boston University and Mike Bray met at a conference meeting. And Dennis Wolf at Boston University asked Mike, he says, uh, did you complete your staff? He says, yeah, I finally completed my staff. I actually was going to hire a guy from the Boston area named Orlando Vandross. He said, I just interviewed him, Mike. Mike tells Dennis, if I was you, I would hire him. And just like that, I got a, was able to be uh, an assistant coach at BU based on a recommendation by Mike Bray. So wow. it's crazy happenstance, but it's also one of those things that's taught me, like, learn how to treat people right. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Never know. Who. Exactly. It's, it's funny you say that, and it kind of gives me chills sometimes because now, I mean, I didn't get essentially the first position out of Boston U, you know. Um, so I have a little bit different of a story, but uh, I like right out of college, I was playing in a, in a, in a men's league, right? You still got to stay active. You still got to stay playing. I start, I start running my mouth to this guy, and he ends up coming over to me, giving me his card. He worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, he was, he was with their academy program, but it was the same story, you know. You just, just working with this guy, talking with him, and then I'm like, okay. And then he ends up bringing me in for an interview later on that week. But no, it, it's great that you tell that story just because – that's what this platform is primarily trying to do with rising coaches. Obviously, we want to inform everybody about everything that we can about the basketball industry. Um, you know, the X's and O's are always great, all the little fundamentals and things. But then hearing the stories are the best, just like uh, Alan was saying before, everybody moving up in a different way kind of gives everybody more hope. What we'll do is we'll fast forward a little bit into your current position. So you've been in Virginia for this is what, eight years? Um, and then you started in a recruiting and player development role for your first three. Can you give us some insight on like, for the recruiting and player development side, maybe what your typical day-to-day would look like. Normally it would be getting in the first, I'd probably be the first one in here, watch the player development. We would do a lot of film, breaking that stuff down. The the one thing that I was able to do was connect with our players, talk with them, especially off the court. I did a lot of mentoring with them. Because you couldn't, that was a non-recruiting position at the time too. So you're, you're around, you're around every day. Exactly, Alan. I wasn't able to be on the floor. I wasn't able to travel. And a lot of times when you've been a per se full-time assistant coach, you probably think that's a step back. But I looked at it as an opportunity. And there's two things that I want to stress upon why I really love that role. Number one, I was able to be around our guys more than I ever been in any program I was a part of as a full-time assistant. So it was different. I like that part. I always thought that at the core of me, I'm relational. I like being around our guys. The The second thing I liked as a father and a husband, I was home for dinner a lot. A lot of times when we don't consider it being a full-time coach or being a college basketball coach or a coach in general, the time that you put in. So I was literally home a lot and engaged with my family. Um, so I did like that role. There was a lot of benefits to that. And I had another point now I think about it. When you've been traveling and you recruit, the grind can get to you. It was a, I was able to recharge my batteries, to be honest. With you. And it was able I was able to have a little more clarity about what I want to do, how I want to approach 
my next opportunity. So I, I thought there was positives as the role from a day-to-day -day standpoint. Coach Bennett has been phenomenal. I was involved with every meeting, every decision, recruiting, official visits, unofficial visits. From a scheme standpoint, you know, it started out as recruiting, but it morphed in more than just recruiting without being on the floor and on the road. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, oh, you actually described why we started practicing in the mornings at Charlotte, because you or you, Des and Ryan, all your kids were kind of similar ages mm -hmm. at that time. And one reason we wanted to do it just because of the players, like, hey, you're going to have to wake up early for the rest of your life if you want to really kind of make a footprint in the world, do something substantial. Like they offer you a hundred grand, but you got to have a suit and tie on and Starbucks ready at 730. Like, you know, get ready to go. But I love the fact that, you know, we've got our stuff done in the morning. And then if you guys need to go recruit, you had to, but you could pick your kids up, you know, from school, you know, be home for dinner, kind of have a, as much normalcy as possible in the, in what we do. But, um, but now I know that I, I remember you sharing that with me about that role and just how, you know, it was almost just, you know, people treat it maybe like a step back, but really for you as a step forward. And yeah, I mean, you got your, you got the, it's like that cell battery being back on 100 again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. There's a lot of coaches who are making decisions or they, they, they get let go and they have to make a decision. What do they do next? And a lot of coaches will often ask me, what did you do when you went into that role? And I, I almost say, don't look at it as a demotion, look at it as a, a moment to, to, to assess and, and grow. Yeah, for sure. For sure. See the op see the opportunity in it. Exactly. I mean, we always look at the um the obstacles, but we very rarely look at the possibilities. If you look at the possibilities and make things work for yourself and find your niche, you can create value um if you have clarity in, in what you want to do. And then and then um I mean, if you don't mind talking a little bit about like the develop player development side cuz what we're trying to do is we're we're just trying to touch on all angles just to give anybody who maybe is currently in those roles the best insight that they can. Um, so like the player development side of things, maybe what were some roles and responsibilities outside of your practices um, that, that you had to handle? You know what? We did a lot of charting of shooting and um, and quantify the numbers in terms of. But basically, you know, obviously, you got to make shots in this game. <laughs> you know, we wanted to find ways to put our best shooters in position. So I would obviously chart those numbers and talk about where we're generating most of those shots from within our offense. But then more importantly, I did a lot of research by going to a lot of the, this time of the year was great in that role because I would go to a lot of NBA practice and draw and extract anything I could that would benefit us. If it could be one drill from certain places. And today, because of that, you know, I was able to, uh, we were able to still utilize some of those drills, but, um, I was able to go out and see and solicit um, the help from others and bring that back here that would be you know, applicable to us. Sometimes it's not so much the, the play. Everyone does player development. Everyone has a program for that. But you have to have things that you know our guys are going to benefit from. You got to pick one. You got to know what's right for your program. And that's one thing I learned in the process. There's so many things you can do. I mean, there's – I mean <laughs> – there's a lot of apparatuses out there for you shooting things of that nature, but the most important thing you got to find what works for your guys. Yeah, for sure, especially how it fits into your system. No doubt, 
you know, so system related development is as important as player development. So that if you have clarity with your system, then that kind of almost lets you know what your guys are going to need, you know, within that. No doubt. I, I think in terms of your question, Doug, we did a good job of collaborating. So I would have a point of direction, what guys need. We would talk about where we are struggling and where we're doing really well. And then how do we improve upon that? I think every player um, wants to hear um, where they can, uh, where can they improve? Where can they really make a, a jump in their game? And so we try to simplify things that are attainable. It could be a hand placement. It could be, we would watch film and watch it closely so we can help them. A lot of times we, uh, we would do this in our recruiting. We'll tell you what we're going to help you improve with before we tell you what you're really good at. And, and sometimes I was the first time I was hearing this, I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? <laughs> but, but the reality of it, most good players want to hear where they can improve. I was the type of player I hated film. Now, why, why do you think, right? Because then you know like what's coming. Like, what about this? What about this? Because it doesn't lie. And, and now as I'm looking at it, I'm like, love it. One of my favorite things, favorite things. Then, like I mentioned, you were in Virginia for eight years, and those, those two roles, recruiting and player development for three, and now you are currently an assistant. So um, can you give us a little bit on like the day-to-day -day or just kind of the lifestyle as being an assistant at Virginia? Polar opposite of what I started out. <laughs> Polar opposite. <laughs> on the road. On the road. Yeah. Um, I'm involved with our guys, but it wasn't like when I first initially started due to I'm on the road. It's hard. But thank God we have technology. I stay in touch with our guys. I get the films from practice, things of that nature. But uh, what I like the most, it's it's um it gives me more um of an opportunity to find guys for our program that some people like in terms of recruiting, they don't see these guys often in terms of our head coach. So it's, it's a, it's really on me. I need to be on point to find the right guy or the right fit for our program. So I really love that aspect of it, the recruiting aspect. I also like the aspect of, you know, representing our program. It could be at a donor function. It could be a golf outing, things of that nature. It's a little bit different in the, as an assistant coach, you get, a little bit more exposure to, I guess, the masses um, to represent this program. It's different. And then I, the big thing that I, I feel like we have to touch on, and I mentioned it in the very beginning, right, but 2019. Well, we'll start with 2018 um, because that, I mean, you guys had a phenomenal season, and then going into the NCAA tournament wasn't necessarily how you wanted it to go. Um, but then – the whole thing just changed around in 2019. Everything just clicks. Can you just talk us a little bit about those two years and, and just kind of the ups and the downs and how you really got to having that ring on your finger? In 2018, you're talking about the, you know, the highs and the lows and, and literally <laughs> one season that you could have. I, I feel for that team more so than any other team I've been a part of because that team was so connected so connected and no one expected us to have the year that we had. And I really wished we were able to have a, you know, end on a better note than being the first, uh, you know, team to lose to a 16 C team. I just, I didn't want that for them. Um, conversely, it was difficult for us as a staff, as a program to just experience that because we were the first, there's no handbook to handle that. There's no handbook for that, but you can, I think coach Bennett, he, I've been a part of some legendary wins 
and moments in a locker room. And he handled that the best. I mean, I couldn't have been able to do it. The way his, his composure, his thought process, and how he held us all together it gave us strength. And then we started holding each other together because it was a point where you're broken a little bit. You're disappointed. And you got to find a ways to build yourself back up and uh, and, and get back in the race um, the following year. So, yeah, it was difficult, but there was also some positive moments to, to win the ACC and, and win the ACC regular season. Um, that's nothing slight. I don't want to take nothing away from that team. I just wish that team didn't end it that way. And then you fast forward, you know, you win the national championship and the way we did each game took on a life of its own and just finding ways, um, you know, Allen's alma mater and you said Matt Painter and then, you know, I got a, a side note. I don't, when you mentioned Matt Painter, I'm saying, what am I on this podcast for? I'm in the wrong place. What's going on? Like, what do you mean the property value? Um, <laughs> you know, you play a team like that and probably, I've been in a lot of high level games if you ever want a game for just for your viewing pleasure, you need to watch and Purdue. It's, I mean, blow for blow, counter, counter. And it's just, it's, yeah, absolutely. It was just, you know, it, it was a heck of a game. And I have so much respect for them and, um, and for what they do. And then conversely, as a side note, you know, they had an experience very similar to us. And um, this is what I love about coaching because I know some of them, we, I reached out to them. I had to, I just, I didn't know what to say because no one knows what to say, but I do know this. You have to say something because sometimes silence says more than <laughs> actually, you know, so it was good that I reached out to them. I mean, I didn't know what to say, but I just told them, I know what you're going through. Just, you know, you gotta find ways to, to move forward. You're gonna have to find a way. Well, the two common threads that you have said, and you and I have talked about this many times about, you know, those two events were bookends, but it was really about what you guys did as a staff and as a team in that 360 whatever days in between. And that experience can obviously break a program, but it can also calcify a program as well in terms of like, you know, you almost get that just us mentality and, you know, I think that happened to you guys and Matt, you know, had shared that when he was on, he's like, Hey, you know, you, there, there's not enough covers that you can hide under, you know, I mean, when that's going on, it's like witness protection, you know, it's like, Hey, can't find the guy, but both of you have embraced it in terms of like, Hey, even though that was a, a, a singular event, there was still some incredible things that happened in that season leading up to it. But then post that event, it's like, hey, let's embrace it and let's, how can this experience make us better? And both of you guys, you know, obviously the way you guys handle it was was stellar. And, you know, I got a feeling the boilers will probably uh, do the same because uh, you can, you can pull a lot of, you can pull diamonds from that rubble um, if you really, if you dig deep enough. Yeah. I think when you have um, moments like that, um, if you have a loss, someone passing your family, things like that, you find out that your family is really important to you and you find ways how you get a little bit closer because of a, tra a tra tragic event. No question. For us, I like what you said. We we insulated ourselves. I keep using that word because it was just mm -hmm. us. It felt like it was just us. Let's just say that. 
Yeah, for sure. And you find yourself leaning on each other a little bit differently. And our approach was differently. And you know, especially I, I can just think about certain places. When you go on the road, it's just us. I know we have our fan base, but it, you find ways to insulate yourself. And then when you know you're you're together, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Not the fraudulent togetherness when you put your hands in, but when you really know that this one is hurting and we've been through some stuff, it's a it's a different approach. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it, very rarely do you see people have shared success without any shared suffering. Right. So there's yeah. got to be some shared suffering almost as a those little flagpost moments that you say, OK, this is part of our process. But that, you know, we got something to refer to, you know, especially when times get hard after that moment. We got something to refer to saying, hey, we can get through it. Look what we've already been through. So. Um, yeah, how you have you guys handled that, man? Unbelievable. So, um, yeah, history. Uh, once you make history with a group, man, that's nothing like it. Alan was telling me before that you you mentioned that after winning the national championship, it was just like, oh yeah, okay, well life goes on. I'm still thinking, like, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> not to diminish it, but you know, we, we no, 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 yeah, not to diminish like, it. Like, yeah. Oh, th- okay. This is it. Oh, well, yeah, we got to keep. This, yep, is great, this is it. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, a, I, I don't. I, I don't remember saying that like that. But, <laughs> okay. You no, know. What? No. It, it's 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 surreal. You know. I there's so many stories that's flooding through my mind right now. I work with a guy that used to work with me at Boston University. He's an associate head coach here named Jason Williford, and you know the Final Four is a great you know opportunity to connect with coaches. We all know that. Um, that's how I met Alan. It, it, that's another story, another time. But, right, right. Do a pod on that. <laughs> but um, Jason, Jay Willie, we call him, um, we would go to the final four practices and we would sit there and we see some of our good friends um, on the court. And it's an unbelievable um, opportunity to see them living out their dream. And he would say, he's so competitive. I can't do this no more, Orlando. I can't do this. Oh, so we're talking about the next time I go to the final four, I'm playing in it. So he stopped going. And um, I remember in Minneapolis, we're walking out to go for our first, you know, the practice that they have. Yeah, yeah. Open to the public. Yeah. And I said, uh, this is a little different. This is a different Final Four homeboy. He started laughing. He says, I can't believe we're here. And it was just, it's small things like that to me mean so much because I remember saying, I'm never going back to the Final Four. And now he's on the main stage and we're getting ready to play for a national championship. It's pretty cool. No, that, it, that, I don't know how you felt. Oh, um, for me, that moment was so humbling. Um, I had some old college buddies and longtime friends that came and they're screaming from the stands, you know, mm-hmm. you walk out there and actually just stood at the baseline as the team was warming up and you just take it in because the thing that it made me feel this big, uh, just because all the guys that have been in this profession um, that have had a chance maybe to, to go and for whatever reason weren't ever able to go. Mm-hmm. And just to know that obviously you're you guys are on a select select few because you won the thing. Um, you know, we still we got one game away against Florida, lost in the championship, 84-75, but who's counting? 
Um, <laughs> but it, it it's so humbling to know, like, of all the guys that have been in this profession, how many guys have had a chance to be here. And that it was it was humbling, man. I, literally, I felt like a centimeter tall um, because uh, it, it's special. It's really special. Gives you goosebumps talking about it now. No it's, doubt. It's such know. an elusive place. It's it's. Yeah. And like great you said, word. Uh, great I can call off four or five names right now that have been so successful, but not even tasted, you know, a national championship, but the final four. And you know, there was countless of coaches um, that came to when we were in Minneapolis for the uh, final four that year, 2019, that stopped by my hotel, wanted to personally talk to me and just like hug me, shake my hand, wish me the best. And those things are you. I remember. I know the game and everything, but the someone that come out, you know, go out their way to say hello to me, um, and wish me the best. That meant a lot. And you got brothers for life too. I'm sure you got people always on your corner now, like coaches, players. That's something. That, that's the great thing about it. You always the things that you're always going to remember. I'm sure you got a picture somewhere in that office of it too, right? Hey, yeah, there's a there's one right here of the. I figured that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little, it. it's a little reminder when I have a tough day. Oh man, no doubt. Love it. Um, so what we'll do is, what we're gonna go, we're gonna cut to our final segment. Unless Alan, unless you have any final uh, questions. No. Else? No, he's. It's been fantastic, man. And like I said, um, you're gonna enjoy this next little little segment. So uh, we're gonna get into the the old behind the coach. So oh my uh, we call this three quick hitters. So Doug's gonna Doug's gonna get into it. But uh no, you enjoy it. You enjoy but, it. So quick hitters. So here's the coach of me. How much time is on the shot clock? See, and that is what we need. We, we're trying to find a way to be able to get a shot clock in the corner. <laughs> That's exactly I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Um we're trying to figure out a way to be able to get a shot clock to be able to put it up, and then you gotta it's like a family feud style. You gotta go boom, boom, boom. You gotta knock them all out in a certain amount of time. Um, okay. To answer your question, we do not have the shot clock up yet. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. but we'll just mentally prepare, mentally pretend it's there. Um, okay. So really, all it is, like I said, three quick hitters. Just going to ask you three basic questions about you as a person. Uh, short, quick responses, and then we'll we'll go from there. But number one, I'm sure you have a lot. But who is, if you had to say, one of the top big mentors or role models in your life, growing up, now, whatever it may be. Role models have been a guy by the name of Alan Major. And <laughs> he must have got the no, no. I guess that I'm on the podcast. I'm not saying that just because because I think the Alan's, check that I sent them arrived. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, so, so we need a timeout since it's a quick hit up. We need a <laughs> okay, all right, timeout. Thirty, right, thirty. No, seriously, Alan Major's story is unbelievable, and I don't think a lot of people know it and for what he's done and. He gave me an opportunity, and I'm not just saying that just because he knows how I feel about him. But his he's been a role model, a big uh, a big influence in my life as a coach. Um, my parents, Alan, I don't know this this man personally. He passed, God rest his soul. But I was fascinated with John Cheney, Temple mm, University, okay. and the reason why I, I just think that what he's done, I mean. He was at Cheney State. Him and Vivian Stringer were coaches at Cheney State. And to see what they've done from that point on, a lot of people see what he's done with Temple University is amazing. That That's one guy I always like, I wish I had time to spend with him. I would love to just like pick his brain. No, those are great. Yeah, I like that. Okay. 
All right, that got a little more in depth than I was expecting. I like that. <laughs> All right, I but like you I asked you, was there a shot clock? You're right. Yeah, You're but right. you, 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 the, the team walked out and saw the defense they were in, and you called another one. <laughs> they adjust. So. Yeah, you called. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two. So, what's a skill that maybe you always wanted to learn? Something that you've you've never had the opportunity to. <laughs> Something that we could put on here. <laughs> no, I'm just. Uh, I wish, like, my brother is a musician, and he's talented. He's a drummer. I wish I was able to play like a piano. I think that'd be a great way when I was younger and I was not married at the time. That would have been a great way to impress some young ladies too, you know, tinkle the ivories a little bit. I like that. And then that kind of leads into the next one a little bit. So for you, um, pregame music or song, anything in particular that you like to listen to? Pregame music. Ugh, I'm not a, a big, uh, I don't have a routine like that in terms of music, no. but I will tell you this especially at home games. If you come to JPJ for a home game here, there's a spot for my locker room before we take the floor. Our team runs out through the smoke and the school song is playing. It's the best part of what I like during the pregame. And it never gets old to me. When the school song is up, it's playing, and all the students and every all the fans are up on their feet. Um, it's probably the coolest point of, of a pregame show for me. Yeah, nice. There's no wrong like answers that. with this deal. So hey, whatever, no. whatever, stir, whatever stirs your drink, you know. <laughs> so, um, and then the final thing that we have. So we always like to ask all coaches on this call just one final question, just to give everybody, like we said, Rising Coach is a platform for coaches to be able to learn um, about the, you know, the ins and outs of coaching, but then primarily just to be able to help rise in the industry. Um, so if you had, I know there's a lot, but your best piece of advice for young rising coaches who are trying to get their foot in the door and how can they accomplish that piece of advice? I'm always reluctant to answer that because my journey is so different than a lot of other coaches that I know, but what do I do now? Do what I do know now that is okay. Here's a, here's a piece of advice. My mom, God rest her soul used to tell me something all the time. And it's hopefully I'm not offending anyone. I'm not preaching anything, but it's, it's biblical. Yeah. Okay? I know what you're about to say. Your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. Basically, what it, what it means to me is wherever you are at, hone your gifts, master your craft, master your gifts. If you continue to do that, when the opportunity comes uh, presents itself, you're going to be before great men. That's what's going to keep you there because you've mastered your gift. Second thing I would give is it's you're going to hear a lot of no's. You know, no is a, often <laughs> comes up in the uh, the journey, and um, you got to have tough skin. But don't let those moments become a monument. You know why? Because if you keep hearing no and keep knowing, I've seen coaches get defeated and just say, you know what? I think I'm gonna go another another direction. It's just a moment. Keep pursuing the next one, because if you give into that, it'll become a monument in your mind and it just will stop progress. That's all I got. That's I don't perfect. know. That's off the top. That's not all you get. That's perfect. All right. That's perfect. Time, time to pass around the offering plate, man. Put the money in. Be generous, people. Be generous. Oh, you guys are funny. <laughs>
Oh, uh, Coach Vandross Allen. Um, I mean, we're gonna get to our closing remarks here in a second. But do, do either you have any any final comments? Anything else you'd like to to throw in yeah, before? You know, uh, I mean, I love you to death, man. Uh, you're a brother to me. Um, thank you for doing this. Um, just being on life's journey. Forget basketball, but we've had a chance to do life together for a long, long time. So, um, unbelievably thrilled for you. Happy for you. Sky's the limit, as Biggie used to say. Uh, and so, you know, uh, like I said, man, just appreciate your friendship, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh, and you know, this is not me. I just don't do these things. But for you, I couldn't tell you no. Matter no, I, I, trust me, I've cashed in a lot of chips. I, I can tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you're on, you're, and I was one, like, you're okay. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you no, and I couldn't tell you no. But I appreciate you. You know how I feel about you. Yeah, I'm really sure. happy for you because I think this is your niche. You have a unique calling. You love this game and you want to grow this game. And I think you found something special. I've done some research on rising coaches and I'm so glad that they found a great guy. Big Thank time you. guy. Appreciate that, brother. Perfect. Well, that is it for us today with Rising Coaches. Again, I want to thank you, um, Coach Orlando Vandross, for being on the call today, sharing your experiences with us. This was this was amazing. Got a lot of good information out of this. And again, thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And that does it for another episode of the Rising Coaches podcast. I'm Doug Caputo, Alan Major. Keep working and keep rising, coaches. Video analysis is expensive, and I'm sure your budget isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels from D1, D2, D3, all the way to high school. Their Angles product is similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video and synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of their D1 teams and conferences such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, A-10, or even the NBC, just to name a few, have made the postseason. All this while saving thousands and thousands of dollars a year compared to their old companies. Because let's be honest, who doesn't want to save more money? All you have to do is reach out to at Fulcrum Tech on Twitter or reach out to their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com via email and be sure to mention if you are a Rising Coaches member or the Rising Coaches podcast. Do more, spend less with Fulcrum Tech. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.